Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and a Friday edition of the Weekend Sports Cars. What are we talking about? IMSA, World Endurance Championship, all manner of fun. And who are we speaking with about such things? No, it's not my usual co-pilot. DailySportsCar.com editor, Graham Goodwin. It says Young Jedi, my stand-in when I'm unavailable Stephen Kilby, how are you this fine evening in the kingdom of United People? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. The super sub is ready. Well, aren't you ever. We need to say thank you to Graham for his fine and meritorious work. I believe this might be the first episode he's missed since we launched the show with all the busyness that he has. Not a surprise. Would have thought it might have happened sooner. Glad that you, I guess, sadly, have nothing better to do on a Friday night there in the UK. But that's okay. Maybe that speaks to the amount of love you have for us in this show. Need to say lots of love. Go ahead, sorry. He's definitely missed a couple of uh, episodes because we've done a couple of we. Has he? Maybe we have. I'm forgetting. We've done done a couple of episodes. All right. Well, that just makes us... And they they weren't memorable, obviously, Uh, clearly. Clearly. (laughs) I mean, last week we launched a new Stephen Kilby uh, memorabilia uh, and, and swag collection available at public toilets throughout the world. So, yes, um, apparently maybe we have. It's available everywhere. Yeah, and anyways, don't listen to me. What the heck do I know? I do know, though, that I really, really appreciate Cooper Tires for their unwavering support since 2018 and also the Justice Brothers that just, they're the armament that surrounds my heart, Stephen. And speaking of things that surround my heart, Graham Goodwin is our official category chooser of where we start the show every week. Which category? Guess what? As the guy who owns the show, I'm going to take that control. I'm going to take it over. An exception here. I've spent many hours already this week, my friend, speaking into microphones, which means, leads me to believe, I'm making up words, by the way, which leads me to believe we're going to do something different. Start off with your bailiwick. That being Weck Aslam Elms ACO, the category of all things European sports car racing. How does that sound to you? Sounds fantastic. Shall we go right ahead? You know, the enthusiasm, I would say, is overflowing here. Uh, it's also past your bedtime. So uh, it's very <laughs> possible that I am like like old fruit and meat uh, and vegetables. Well, I don't know if we're getting ourselves a prime kill, but you're clearly getting... A, a just throw it in the dumpster Pruitt as well. I'm clearly a little bit worn out, but we're going to get launched here with a question from Ryan Terpstra, the spirit animal of the Marshall Pruitt podcast, who says, how much different do you think the cost will be for a factory hypercar team versus a customer team? I want exact it's an figures. interesting question. Yes. It's an interesting question, I think. And I've got Wayne Taylor on the other we, line, but I'm going to send him to voicemail. Why? You're more important. <laughs> or impotent. One of the two. Take your pick. Well, but both. So am I, am I Karen answering this? Yes. Yes. Right. So the big problem with answering this question is that we don't really know just what the budget for the factory teams is going to be yet. I don't think it's going to be the numbers that we were initially heard banded around of i think it's 25 million 30 million 
the general consensus was that that was probably a bit you know unachievable but it's certainly not going to be lmp1 hybrid levels of budget like what porsche was spending and audi was spending which was closer to 200 million uh, a season for a lot of their uh, their time at the helm you can definitely say that that a customer team running a, a uh, running one of the cars a factory team like aston martin for instance is going to be racing will be less it, it, because you won't be spending as much on R&D, you won't have to develop the car yourself, uh, you won't be marketing it as much, um, but it's not going to be cheap. And we know from DPI, don't we, Marshall, that even the, the customer teams in DPI, it, it's not a cheap program even compared to LMP2, is it? Not at all. And although we have the specter of a budget reduction, annual budget reduction coming to this hypercar formula, you're still going from extremely expensive to less extremely expensive. <laughs> Inexpensive is nowhere in the conversation. So, yeah, definitely shades of improvement, but not actual leaps and bounds by any means. But also comes back to your point. There's no such thing. We don't know what a factory budget will be versus a privateer, but there's also no such thing, right? It's the old, how long is a piece of rope? Well, it's infinitely variable. What Aston Martin might spend versus Peugeot, I have no idea. What they might charge their customers as a result, we truly have no idea. So, of the many things I look forward to once the hypercar formula gets rolling, is to parse that information out and find out what some of the numbers might be. Let's go to Stuart Hart. Thank you as well, Stuart, for always sending in great stuff for us every week here on our little listener-driven Q&A show. It says, what are your thoughts, Stephen, on Bahrain and the eight-hour format? It says, we know they'll never get numbers really big through the gate, but the almost guaranteed weather and good time zone for your European audience could make it for a decent TV event, not to mention the day and night transition. Personally, I love it. Uh, well, How about impersonally? Personally, I love it. How about impersonally? <laughs> well, I could go impersonal, but... Uh, I can't believe we have an really, impersonally uh, violation already <laughs> in the show. I mean, Goodwin did it last week. It, it's clearly catching. <sighs> it's just too hard. It's because you know you can't do it. You know, you, you have to do it. Um, you have but, to do it says Stephen kilby all right how many young women have heard that phrase good lord all right oh the, the list you have you've never seen a list like it marshall it's unbelievable um anyway Bahrain, has the show fallen um, off the rails before it even got on the rails i think so and you know what i'm embracing it? it we aren't drunk but maybe we should be it would fit the quality of the episode being put forth i take sole responsibility hmm Drunk on life. We're drunk on life. Um, so Bahrain. Um, I like the idea of the eight-hour format. I think what they've done this year with the calendar and changing it up a little bit, we've had obviously two four-hour races already at Silverstone and Shanghai. They were great. Both races turned out to be interesting races. The teams like the fact that they get the difference in strategy. And as for making the Bahrain race longer, that is going to be popular because... Well, it's not a racetrack that lends itself to huge crowds. Um, people do genuinely like going there. It's a track that drivers like to drive on. The climate's nice at the time of year that we go. It looks spectacular under the floodlights. The photographers love it. Those of us watching just enjoy it. And generally, it produces a decent sports car race. Um, 
So it, it, I think this is going to be a good one. And after what we saw at uh, Shanghai with with LMP1 being a little less of a predictable race, what we're going to see in uh, Bahrain next month, I think it's going to be really interesting. So this has come at the perfect time. We had a four-hour race that was genuinely one of the best races, certainly up the front, that we've seen in years last time out. Double it this time. Will it be double the fun? Let's hope so. Look at that. We got a little bit of promotion coming out of Stephen Kilby. You're just a you're a slayer. That's what you are. <laughs> We're going to go to TF110B, which I assume means something, and you're formally invited to tell us what it means. Uh, Bugatti comes to mind. I don't know why, but tell us what that screen name means, means if you could. It says, will hypercar be a better deal for manufacturers in IMSA that don't want to be hassled by hybrid? If hybrid is an issue that teams and manufacturers don't agree with, why not follow the hypercar route and make it hybrids optional? BOP already exists in the series. Not an easy question to answer, is it, Marshall? We know this from what we're hearing from the DPI 2.0 talks. It's so difficult to get a bunch of manufacturers and make them all happy because they all have different priorities, whether it be budget and technology. But if you don't want to go down the route of of having hybrid technology in your car, then WC is going to be the place to go because it looks like, certainly from my understanding at the, at the present point in time, it's going to be the place to go if you want to race a non-hybrid car with, with what we're seeing with, uh, with Aston Martin. They're racing with about a hybrid system um, and feel that they'll still be able to challenge for wins um, despite that. So it's it's right now it's it's not the easiest question to answer. But if you don't genuinely don't want to go hybrid, it it may well be your only choice. Yeah, and if you don't want to go hybrid in IMSA or hypercar, that might be something that is rolled out as a reality here, uh, as we've discussed last week in particular on the show. And I know we've got some coming up on that topic in our IMSA category let's go to craig johnson i might be able to fill in a little bit here if need be so gentlemen a term i use loosely thanks craig that's awesome see i don't want nice questions take a shot tell us we're stupid we know it but sometimes it's fun when people remind us i noticed this week that harry tinknell has a full-time ride in the asian lamar series is there any news on or about other opportunities for the rest of the former blue oval for gt drivers speaking of the blue oval how do we convince Ganassi to go all Porsche and remove all the limiting BOP factors, tune the GT to the max, and get some GT lap records around the United States? Mm, well, we've heard news, haven't we, about some of the Ford drivers in the last week or so. So we've had uh, Briscoe and Dixon at Wayne Taylor for IMSA next year. We've just... Just before we started recording this podcast, Marshall heard that uh, Sebastian Bourdais has obviously been a part of Ford's GTLM effort at various points. He's going to be racing in DPI as well with JDC Miller. Harry Tinknell, as you've mentioned, is, is doing Asia Le Mans series, and that started this weekend, and he's had a very good start to the weekend in practice today. I know that. Um, with Carlin Stellara, I expect uh, he'll be pushing to stay with Carlin and whatever they do next year. Beyond that, we've got drivers like Andy Prio, who is currently doing WTCR, um, and I'm actually due to catch up with Andy pretty soon in person. Uh, and when I do one of the topics, I'll be 
talking to him about is what are you going to do next and what that's going to look like um he certainly loved his sports car racing so i wouldn't wouldn't expect he'd turn something down if he if he had the offer as for par and mucker off the top of my head i'm not sure what they're doing next year i, I haven't heard anything um and the other rims of drivers marshall you're probably better better filled in than me yeah joey hand i did speak with him this week and he is currently hunting for anything and which really saddens me because this guy is just an assassin i mean this guy should be in a factory dpi gtlm any i mean truly we know how good he is and sadly nothing not just full-time but it's looking like even the endurance races might be challenged to find a home there heard there might be something about uh, westy or man richard westbrook as well so not sure what that is but maybe you can uh, give him a ring since i think that would be cheaper for your phone than mine um <laughs> and then dirk Mueller have not heard anything there as well when he and i spoke last at monterey mentioned that there might be a little something or other in europe but nothing that looked like a full-time opportunity for him so yeah the of the many things that frustrate me about the current state of motor racing it's that very good drivers very popular and amazing drivers and so on just some really truly great great talent will likely be sitting home and watching whether it's an indycar race an imsa race a a whatever race instead of being in the mix and a lot of that seems to be going around at the same time so that's the other issue here obviously right steven it's not the fact that driver a b or c that fans love happen to be looking for work it's that there's so many of these drivers just top tier drivers looking for work Uh, it's just a case of a waiting room full of applicants for one or two jobs and that's just always going to lead unfortunately to significant unemployment rates landing at the same time let's go to rob chalmers who says with imsa winding back the hybrid provisions for dpi 1.5 i like that rob um and a number of the wc hypercar teams going non-hybrid would it be sensible to create an lmp x class for wec like a year-round garage 57 that would allow OEMs to showcase tech amortized over a season rather than, say, a one-off race. Maybe give them a performance window just shy of the big dogs so that if they do exceed expectations, it's a double PR win. I like that idea, right? Because I think one of the changing aspects of motor racing with budgets, again, seemingly getting smaller or just harder to acquire, the show up to do a single race at Le Mans, spend a bunch of money, and then it's truly just a one-off large expense. What do you think, Stephen, about Rob's idea of maybe creating a alternate class so manufacturers could indeed, as he mentioned, get a full season of value out of that expenditure than just the one hit in France in the middle of June? It, it would be great to see, wouldn't it? It's it, like I agree with you, Marshall. It's it's a good idea, but as you say, with factory budgets being so tight, and especially with lots of OEMs spending so much in R and D for road car side of things, when it comes to new technology, the sheer amounts they're having to spend uh, just on that side of things means that getting a 
a risky let's we, we've got to say it would be a risk wouldn't it if you're going to go and do something completely radical uh with a one-off car that's gonna you know race in over a course of a season uh, with some sort of new technology it's it's going to be hard to convince a board to go ahead with that but what i would say is what we've got with uh, the 2024 regulations with hydrogen is that's not really that far away that we're going to see manufacturers doing stuff that is radical with prototypes assuming we do get some big names signing up to it uh, it's, it's worth keeping an eye on the, the Le Mans Cup next year when we see the H24 project running that hydrogen MP3 car the progress that's being made in that is is kind of along this idea where they're going to run uh, Green GT are going to run um that a desk-based chassis for at least a partial season in Le Mans Cup. Um, and with the outlook to to improve the hydrogen technology ahead of it being introduced at, at the top of the shop. So it, it's it's kind of there in the background, and I'm sure plenty of OEMs are, are always looking at opportunities like that. But if the ACO came out tomorrow and said, let's do a let's do an all all singing, all dancing class just for anyone to bring whatever they liked. It's it's not clear whether you'd actually get any takers. Yeah, I'm not uh, not sure as well. Again, I love the idea. I guess the other question to this, Rob, would be if ramping up a Delta Wing style program or you know, pick something that is truly made just for Le Mans compared to, you know, hey, we're going to modify an LMP2 car a little bit and show up and do something. But, you know, truly custom-built, and granted, I know that that chassis was based on the AMR1, I get that, but just saying something that was truly assembled solely to go to Le Mans, made, you know, manufactured specifically for this one-off garage, then 56, now, I guess, 57 or whatever type thing, for a manufacturer to do that, I don't know what the budget would be. Let's just say $2 million. And I'm sure that it's wrong, but I'm just saying two. If the cost to then do a full season and fly all over the world and staff it for the full year and it spares and parts and when the thing crashes and breaks into many pieces and you got to replace it, if that budget then becomes $5 million, $10 million, at least in the current financial state, scenario we're dealing with i wonder if most would not just say now we're good at the two (laughs) lamont's gonna be awesome isn't it yeah we'll be good at two uh because for what it takes to do a true year-long campaign uh i just yeah i think if folks are going to do a full season of something they're going to do a full season and if they're not then they have judged that doing this one-off you know maybe more promotionally minded thing compared to a true competition thing. We want to become the champions of something uh, facing other manufacturers in that exact class. Yeah, I'm still just worried about dollars and cents. Now, let's go. Question for you, Marshall. Yes. Uh, before we move on. The Delta Wing, obviously when that came to Le Mans, there was so much hype surrounding it. It was a car that, you know, just by looking at it, you knew it was radical, you knew it was different. And the amount of interest that generated that year in 2012 when it raced at Lasaf was huge. Um, but then obviously it went and raced in IMSA, didn't it, for a long time? And I wasn't present in the IMSA paddock at all uh, when it was out there. What was the reception like when it continued racing beyond Le Mans? Was it still something that brought in interest? It did. 
and it seemed to be the car that new fans and kids loved most. Uh, that seemed to be the one that everyone wanted to get a photo next to, a hero card, a Catherine Leg, or Gabby Chavez, or, or whomever, Sean Rahal autograph. It was a lightning rod for unencumbered fans. By unencumbered, I mean those that have no baggage of history brought forth. The, oh my God, it looks like name, whatever, phallus or phallic symbol. It looks like this. I hate it. It's small. It's stupid. It's ugly. It's dumb. It's this. All the negatives, it seemed, uh, came from those with whatever level of sports car fandom experience or working in the sport experience. Those that had the heaviest criticism, as I perceived, were ones who didn't like it because it didn't fit the norm. The ones coming to the race, Stephen, who had no bar of reference for what or was not normal. They were seeing these things, by and large, for the first time. Were just (laughs) absolutely attracted to it like a magnet because it stood out so heavily and kind of playful and cool and interesting. I mean, it just looked like not only nothing else at the track, but nothing else in the world. So I think the, yeah, that's something that has been lost so heavily with the way we do too many things in motor racing. And I'm not going to go into a full Weekend Sports Cars, Soapbox Rant, sponsored by oh, Boucher's Hammer Emporium. Oh, no, I, I, oh, it's been on. done too many times. It's Friday. I know it's Friday and we're drunk. <laughs> I am saddened and continually saddened that when, for my little pea brain, the things that happen on an annual racing calendar that jump out is like, wow, that's so cool. I can't wait to see it because there are new things for me to process. We're talking about the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb or some form of land speed record vehicle. The fact that if we're talking a WEC race, ELMS, Asian Le Mans series, what's now the former Blanc Pont, something SRO-based, IMSA, American World Challenge, whatever, I can pretty much draw all the cars by memory tell you exactly what they all happen to be whether it's engine size cylinder this that and the other as can many folks because it's all you see they're homologated racing vehicles they're all pre-screened pre-approved don't touch them that you can change the colors (laughs) you can you can use different crayons on your canvas but stop short right there um the fun that's the thing that the fun, the innovation and fun, the creativity that drew many of us into racing before spec things became the norm. That's the thing that I miss. I'll just throw in very quickly. If we're talking IndyCar, Stephen, folks that saw or even just learn about the old Granatelli turbines, the, the STP-sponsored turbines, in the late 1960s. Those cars might be as popular today (laughs) as any IndyCar that has followed. And 
you have to realize that for those who might have seen it run originally, they'd be 50 plus. So there are generations of people who weren't there to see the cars run, have only read about it, maybe seen a video clip, whatever, seen photos of it, and their jaw hits the floor because it's crazy. But it was allowed. And it ran with the other cars. And it stood out and decades later still is held up as this amazing thing. If I think in sports cars, some of the high-wing chaparrales, right? Can-Am cars group, what were they, five cars, I believe, they ran in Europe. Some of these big, crazy things where you go, what? (laughs) What is that? And they're still just beloved. Today, they're upheld as these amazing things that everyone remembers if they've seen them, even if they didn't get a chance to see the cars run. But you look at them and go, wow, we did that? That's amazing. And then you look around the current landscape and go, boy, I wish it was more than Pike's Peak and some insane Norma chassis-based VW all-electric thing or some whatever it might be land speed record vehicle where the same kind of, whoa, the the spirit of human innovation and creativity is alive and well. Those vehicles that we remember and hold up so high tend to come from those periods in time, Stephen, where such thing was allowed. And Mm. it hasn't been all that long since such things were allowed, but they certainly are not today. Let's go to... Bring on on the Glickenhaus hypercar program. Exactly. That's going to be bonkers. Exactly. (laughs) A a flat W12 motor. I love it. I can't wait. Um, (laughs) Let's go to James Counter. James, thank you as well for always being a loyal submitter of questions. Says, does the Peugeot hypercar entry discourage any smaller teams from entering? Says, does it put off the likes of a Brabham or Janetta? Also says, prayers for you and your good lady MP. Thank you, James. Uh, personally, it's. Uh, oh, here we go again. Uh, here we go. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. We're just going to forget about that. Okay, we're going to move on. I need a um, couple of Hail Marys. I need answer, hail, uh, pr- prayers or push ups. <laughs> you got some sort of penance needs to be paid, as they use a lot of words with the letter P. Really? I need a, I need a swear jar. Now, hold on. Uh, let me just look here. We are we're not even a half hour into the show, and we have two in, uh, true hashtag me personally errors on your behalf. Good Lord. You yeah, might I'm be joining the likes of some other drivers who are out of work here, pal. Keep it up. Keep it up. Yeah. Me and Joey Hand. Rocking it. Damn. <laughs> um, so, it, I don't think so, genuinely, uh, is the answer to your question, James. Um, certainly, Janetta and Lawrence Tomlinson is looking at what we've got with Hypercar, certainly in the first year, and thinking if I can grandfather my car and put that as an entry, um, I've got a chance to win races here because we have no idea what the, the entries from Toyota and Aston Martin are going to be. Beyond year one, obviously, as it stands, uh, the current LMP1s won't be eligible to race uh, in the hypercar prototype category. So it remains to be seen whether a company like Janetta or, as you say, Brabham, uh, decide to to dive in and and bring something new to the table, but until we know more about just what the performance levels are of these cars, because right now it's it's all just it's supposition really, and um, 
and guesstimations until we see them on track, until we see what they can do, until we see how difficult it's going to be to match up to whichever the best car that turns out to be in hypercar prototype is. Um, we won't really know what, what the smaller manufacturers and teams think. What I would say, though, is because it's a BOP formula and, and not an, not necessarily an EOT formula like we've had in the past with LMP1, if you design something that's good enough to get within a bracket, it's going to be, um, by by laws of BOP, capable of scoring big results. So I think that teams like Janetta may feel they have a chance in that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go to uh, another question on the Peugeot front from uh, Pierre-Laurent Ribot, who says, isn't the timing of Peugeot entering the WC a bit late already? Two full seasons after the start means that by the time they roll, Toyota and Aston Martin will already have one or maybe two evolutions of their cars and worked out the issues that Peugeot will have to tackle. Furthermore, with hydrogen-fueled cars on the 2024 horizon, isn't there a risk that their number will be stolen, their thunder will be stolen by the time they hit their stride. He also says, on the other hand, Porsche was immediately on the pace when they arrived in 2014. So timing of Peugeot's entry to hypercar. Problematic? Positive? What do you think? Positive, I would say. They're going to get the opportunity here to sit back and have a look at what what's out there from Toyota and Aston Martin in year one um, and year two. And there is the potential we're hearing from, from some of the, uh, the French news outlets who have spoken to people within the Peugeot program that they may run as early as Le Mans 2022 or in the race leading up to that to kick off their program before it begins its first full season. So they'll get a feel for it, won't they, by having a look right now um, at what we've got coming. If you look at what Aston Martin are having to do now, which is effectively get a car and an entire program together on a, in a really short time frame, so short that even Toyota have effectively been preparing this for years, are still finding tough. You've got to say, if Peugeot were going to announce a WC program, you, at this point, there was, there's no way you would announce it for year one. So it seems sensible to me to wait it out um, because you're going to have more time to test. You're going to have more time to turn up in the paddock show off your intent, have a look at what the racing's like, have a look at the cars, have a look at what design works, you know, have a look at the different combinations of hybrid and non-hybrid and different engines we've got, and then make your own decisions while you're developing your own car. So it could work in their favor. Like you say, with, with, with Porsche, when they came in in 2014, it, it really didn't take them very long to get on the pace, did it? And then once they did, they didn't stop. Um, as for hydrogen, uh, it's... It, it, there's still a lot of questions to be asked about what that's going to look like. There is a target to get manufacturers racing with hydrogen prototypes into double figures by 2024, 2025, if they can do it, if they get the OEM interest that they think they have, um, putting, pen to, putting pen to paper. What we don't know is how the technology is going to be by then. So we don't know whether they're going to be chasing overall wins or whether they're going to be racing you know, in a bracket that's below the current uh, well, what will then be the current uh, hypercar prototype pace. So it will be interesting to see what the grid looks like by the time a hydrogen rolls around. Will we have hypercar prototype manufacturers deciding to, to jump from that to then do hydrogen? Do they do both? Do we get you know some manufacturers that just want to do the hydrogen and don't necessarily care about the performance levels of the cars? We don't know yet. And, and that's mainly because the technology isn't quite there 
Um, and that's okay because we've got we've got time and we've got projects underway in the background that are hastily developing um, the hydrogen technology for for sports cars, and the performance is the next next thing to come because the reliability is is certainly getting there when it comes to things like the H twenty four project. Let's go to where are we going to go? We're going to go to Geronimo Lazos. Hey, Geronimo. It says hi with a nice exclamation point. See, look at that. Any news regarding the track change for the WEC since Interlagos is out? Question mark. On the same page, what would happen to Shanghai? Thanks a lot. Keep it cool. Right now, uh, we don't know. And for many people in the paddock, if if we're going to find out that there is a change, that they're hoping we find out very soon. The original plan was to show off uh, the calendar for next season when we get to Bahrain and you get the feeling that when we get there, we're going to be hearing about next year's calendar and what the status of the rounds or the round at Interlagos next year looks like. Uh, the, the actual, uh, the team that run the circuit have come out and said that the, the race should be fine. I believe there are still doubts in the background. Um, it may be a coincidence. It may not be a coincidence, but I believe uh, I've been told that Gerard Nouveau is at Kyle Army this weekend for the Intercontinental GT Challenge finale. Whether that's him just showing willing, t- turning up to an SRO event to to chat to some people and um, you know sniff it out and see what it's like, we don't know. Whether that's him going there to, to take a look at the facility ahead of a potential race there, we're not sure. We're going to hear very soon because genuinely we're going to have to know very soon because the teams are going to need to know where they're shipping their cars where they're flying their people which hotels they're going to book plenty of teams have already booked hotels uh, they've already booked their flights so they're already knee deep in money that they've spent on brazil uh, the next step is if we're gonna if we're gonna change venue they've got to sort of untangle all that and everyone's gonna to have to change their plan so i would expect something pretty imminent to be quite honest good don't lie we're gonna to go to daniel Summersgill, who says with the likely reduction in speed in LMP2 doing hypercar, is there any chance we could see any, quote, underperforming LMP2 teams caught up in GTE Pro battles? And will it be necessary then to slow down the GTE cars? Hmm. Well, right now, it would appear that we don't need to slow down the GTE cars. That's the thought within uh, the paddock, within the technical team at the ACO. They've never considered to this point that they would have to slow down the GTE cars as well as the LMP2s. The issue at play here is that we still don't really know just how much slower the LMP2s are going to have to be. They've said that they're likely going to reduce the rev limits um, and they're going to make it a spec tire formula so that they can curve the performance levels. But we don't know how much slower they're going to have to make the cars. And that's in part because we don't yet know just how quick the hypercars are going to be. So when I speak to and I have got a meeting set up with some relevant people when we get to Bahrain when I speak to them about this exact topic because I have written a story about this, uh, which is yet to be published for various reasons, um, about what the paddock thinks about this. Um, we'll get more answers. Uh, but right now, the, the general consensus is that the LMP2s will be slowed by roughly second and a half two seconds at general circuits and then when we get to Le Mans that will obviously be a little bit more so we won't be quite in GTE range 
Um, but certainly with the new LMP3 cars, when we're going to see in the LMS in 2021, we'll get the changes to, to LMP2. When we see the new LMP3 cars against the slowed down P2s, that's where I think the sticking point's going to be because the new LMP3 cars for next year are obviously going to be a little bit faster uh, by a second or two, a second or two a lap. So that's more of a worry rather than P2 cars ending up in the GTE ranks. We're going to close our WEC Aslam Elms ACO open to this week's episode of the Week in Sports Cars with another one from Daniel Summersgill. One of my favorite post Lamar rants was on this very topic, kind of, sort of. It says, why does Eurosport use their own commentary team for the WC, who clearly aren't present at the track, rather than use the World Feed? They use the world feed for formula E. So it seems strange. They don't for the WC. So Steven, non-employee of Eurosport, please speak on their behalf and explain their reasoning. I don't know why I do that. Uh, I reckon it's because, and this is a guess. I reckon it's because they kind of always have done. Um, they've, they have a in-house team of regular commentators that are used for all, all their motorsport, uh, coverage. So, Honestly, I think it's just because they have they already have people in place uh, that can fill in and, and do WC stuff. Opinions aside on how good of a job they can do from um, from distance and not other circuits, that's that's a to- different topic entirely. But uh, genuinely, uh, Daniel, I, I don't know the answer to that question. That's in part because I, I've never really had anything to do with Eurosport's coverage of the WC or, or Le Mans. And there we go. Look at this. You are fast and efficient. We are mm. now going to head to the next category. It's your turn to. It'd be half. It'd have to be an underhanded pitch, softball style. IMSA questions at yours truly. Yeah. So let's start off with Justin at J Truck Seventy One on Twitter. He says, "What's behind the recent waves of teams being against hybrid in DPI 2.0? I thought hybrid was a done deal." Did manufacturers pushing hybrid drop out of the discussions or teams had a better idea of the cost? Is it because of Scott Atherton leaving or HPD flirting with NASCAR related to DPI discussions? Wow. There's a lot in that, Justin, and you've nailed a couple of the items here for sure. I think if you look at the, as quick as I can explain it, uh, lineage, IMSA decided it needed to be hybrid with the next DPI. It is an initiative that they pushed forward, as I understand, first. I believe, believe, that they did their usual workshop, the idea with some of the manufacturers, if not all the manufacturers, engaged in DPI, but also those they've spoken with who've kicked the tires, considered it on the the radar, possibly came to the conclusion that must be hybrid in 2022, and that was an initiative conversations that I had with Scott Atherton early on in this 2.0 discussion among manufacturers, technical working groups coming together. He definitely said that early on, it was something that was met with a lot of resistance in that over time, it was something that was accepted more and more, if not coming to the point of being accepted, Stephen, as a fact, something that's going to happen. I think just as 
manufacturers, and I'm speaking in a general term, were resistant at first, came to see it being a better idea, not all, but maybe the majority being in that general camp, I think that that has just now eroded back to its original state, if not even further. I mean, there was a point where it seemed like hybrids were really, truly going to be the way for every manufacturer to get in on with their road cars. And that seems to have fallen out of favor very heavily as well. Yet another manufacturer today, Volkswagen, saying any motorsports programs in the future will be electric and electric only. Not hybrid, but pure electric. Uh, It... I think is reflecting that that mindset, Stephen, that quick falling out of favor, or maybe quick recognition that a full electrification on the road car side could be achieved much sooner than anyone had previously predicted. I think the answer is somewhere in there. And I really do appreciate this one, Justin, because it's a perfect opener for IMSA this week. I believe what we're seeing and will continue to see is more and more IMSA manufacturers say, or I'm sorry, DPI manufacturers say, all right, IMSA, I get it. I understand the reason why you put hybrid out there and why it's something that you've been wanting to use and have as a differentiator for your sports car series. I also know that you've been wanting to offer this to us as something you believed was a high-value marketing angle. We just need a, a series in America to open that up, and that will be the thing that unlocks marketing dollars. All those things were true, but the window for that being true, instead of being a long and wide open one, many years, long, long runway, Justin, I think what we've seen is that it actually just snapped shut quickly. And so now you have a lot of manufacturers saying, no, hybrid is not our automotive future. If we're going to race, then let's just race. But actually spending money and trying to use our racing initiatives, or in this case, in DPI 2.0, when I say initiatives, that wasn't actually a misspeaking. I believe we might be seeing something similar coming to IndyCar as well, because they have that hybrid coming in 2022 as well. I think we might see a reversal of course here if this trend works its way uh, into the open-wheel world here in America as well, Stephen. I think the general consensus we might end up with is we're not going to go hybrid. It was a thing. It's no longer a thing. The auto industry is saying electrification is where they're seeing their future arriving much sooner than expected. We're not in a place to go all electric with our motor racing yet. So if we're going to stay and do a DPI 2.0, let's just frankly stick with what we have now. Let's make the bodywork look a little cooler, prettier, more dynamic. Let's, honestly, let's stay the course. Let's hold what we have, keep the costs down. We mentioned and have mentioned multiple times on the show, Stephen, there's a debate right now as to whether DPI 2.0 is going to be new chassis or a remodeling, uh, a makeover. Uh, maybe a facelift, a tummy tuck, who knows, but actual working within the same exact chassis that will go racing here again in January. Do we just modify those so that people do not have to 
redevelop all new cars, all you know, all new expenditures. Knowing that in particular, we have on the Cadillac side multiple customer teams. Uh, we'll see if the Mazda customer team hits the grid as hoped. But knowing that there are customers as well, I don't know if those customers could afford swallowing all new cars, hybrid, everything, being able to buy new bodywork, uh, I think would be the thing that probably makes most of them plenty happy. So I think this is the area we're going to land at. And there are a growing number of DPI team owners that are telling me this, some on the record, many off the record, just the stomach here to go do this interesting shift in technology a couple years from now. Yeah, that, uh, that appetite appears to be lost. As for Atherton, wasn't really connected to him at all. Uh, this was a thing that's been gaining momentum. The HPD flirting with NASCAR, and we haven't had, you know, if anything, we've had worrying, a worrying quote from Honda, former HPD boss, now Honda senior exec, Art Sincere, saying, yeah, we definitely were interested. If we were to do it, it would cause us to kill our involvement in IMSA and IndyCar. So it's a big worry. Keep in mind as well, NASCAR is looking to go hybrid as well. I uh, know that they were wanting to do that in the next year or two. I've heard that's been pushed back to at least 2024. They might be dealing with the same thing, Stephen, of manufacturers that were super hot for it now saying, oh, we're not exactly sure. Maybe we don't. Let's table it for a few years. Last thing to mention here, and this has been a constant since it spans both NASCAR and IMSA, is keep hearing over and over again from both sides that Ford is the loudest voice calling for hybrid. Not just hybrid, but high-power hybrid. They're not in IMSA currently. They're certainly one of the big pillars in NASCAR, though. Could one of the three brands in NASCAR be enough to push them into going hybrid if they say they're going to leave without it? I don't know. I don't know if they've said that. If IMSA needs to get Ford into DPI by going hybrid, would that be the play to make, Stephen, knowing that potentially that could lead to other manufacturers saying, well, then we're out. So, yeah, it's a little minefield. I have not had a chance to speak with him about it, but I feel for new IMSA president John Doonan because... I have a feeling his ears are <laughs> bleeding at the moment. Mm, it, it's, it does, correct me if I'm wrong, Marshall, it does sound a little bit like the whole hypercar uh, formulation that we had over the last couple of years where you go through phases of manufacturers want to do this and then they want to do that and then some of them want to do this, some of them want to do that. Um, you know what it reminds me of? similar to me. An episode of The Walking Dead. You know, you might have killed the herd of walk, European walkers, brother. Little did we know, there's still a decent amount of them that just walked out into the ocean since they don't need to breathe, apparently. Just walked their happy asses over to uh, the good old East Coast and made their way to Florida. And we're looking for infection of the silliness, stupidity, and oh my God, I can't believe you are trying to do that type process that 
had Hypercar just spinning in a ball of confusion for quite some time until very recently it has become something that looks both solid and holding a pretty high potential for coming off okay. So whatever that thing of that walker-based thing that was trampling and trying to eat and kill Hypercar, yeah, uh, it might have made its way to the U.S., so quick fire question here for you marshall then before we move on to the next question is you're john doonan imagine you're john doonan right now and that should be too difficult because you're both top blokes um what do you do if you had to choose the the formula what what would you go with 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 what you know what do you think is the right direction i would just say hybrid it's a great idea no thank you uh the biggest thing that influences motorsports today is manufacturer involvement there are so few series where it's truly just run what you run bring whatever you want come play it's all some form of series sanctioned agreements between manufacturers for involvement stock car open wheel formula indycar formula one wrc everything we talk about here in this show Everything has some sort of business agreement, if not rules collaboration with manufacturers. Dunan's decision is super easy. If his DPI manufacturers, both those known and in the series and those who are looking to come in, are telling him, hey, hybrid's not the thing. We don't want it. We don't need it. Don't make us do it because it's already to us old-timey technology that's where imsa prepares a press release that says based on the cutting edge input and pulse of the automotive industry we receive from our multiple stakeholders that's a term that imsa loves to use we have decided with their full cooperation to alter our 2022 dpi plans which will remain under its current engine formula as we continue to seek the advisement of the automotive industry on what new and future technologies hold the most interest to them from a marketing and promotion standpoint. I mean, print it, send it, done. Uh, That would not only, I think, be a wonderful thing for many manufacturers to read, but also for teams knowing that the numbers are going to be down this coming season in DPI. And based on what I know, they're going to be down even more the following year. So now is the time, not late, but now to say, hey, need to change. It's not because we're flaky and don't know what we're doing, but we respect the voices of our manufacturers. They know their industry better than we do. We, frankly, we're here to represent them. Right, I'm not saying every series is truly bought and sold and acting as you know the on the strings being pulled by the manufacturers, but since the DPI class, like GT Le Mans slash GTE, Stephen is it's 100% factory. I mean, let's just call it what it is. It's not LMP2 GTD or GT3 Pro Am class. That's more sportsman, driver, businessman, businesswoman, small business owner. These are meant to be the places where the factories can play and compete. If the people that do the playing and competing and spending tell you, nope, 
we don't want this thing. If you don't listen to them, you're signing the death certificate, if not on your series, on that class. So, unless there's some volume of potential DPI 2.0 constructors, manufacturers, Stephen, that I don't know of and you don't know of who've said we are only coming if you go hybrid, uh, I think now's the time to get ahead of this. Mm. It, it, it's going to be interesting, isn't it, to see what they do. Let's move on to CM Parfait 16 on Twitter. He says, what if in 2020 the ACO invites a DPI team from IMSA to compete in Le Mans or IMSA invites a privateer LMP1 to compete in Daytona. Can, can you see this happening? I mean, I, I, I personally can't see it happening. It would be interesting, though, wouldn't it? You hear the police? It's a bad idea. Bad, bad idea. <laughs> Par- CM Parfait 16, the cops are coming to get. The BOP police, are, they're gotcha. Um, I could see it if I hit myself in the head with a hammer and then saw stars and had little birds swirling around my head like they do in the cartoons i don't dislike the idea i mean so i'm not don't i'm not making funny i love the idea it'd be great to see but one of the things that you rarely see is coca-cola inviting pepsi to come (laughs) display their product at their finest trade you know at their biggest trade show and vice versa I, I fear that a DPI at Le Mans, while it would not be faster than an LMP1 hybrid or private or non-hybrid, um, I think it would just attract a lot of interest. Maybe, Stephen, going back to the point I just raised uh, not too long ago about new and different. Hey, we don't know it. We haven't seen this. What is it? Let's talk about it. Let's go see I think the the power of attraction might be the thing that benefits the in the visiting sanctioning body, but to the detriment of the hosting sanctioning body. So, love the idea, but I would rather see an invitational class established, where of the fifty whatever uh, entries that are finally allowed, you know, carve out three, four, five spots if you really have an interest, you know carve out something where there could be a small class demo class that comes and plays and has fun. Probably less, I would say on the topic of just enjoyment, but more of a taste test. So if I'm the ACO and I'm seeing that hypercar looks like it's going to have some good legs, what you could certainly do with a few more manufacturers What do I do in 2020? I create the DPI Invitational class. It's a non-points class. There's a trophy. There's an actual win and all that available. But there's, call it non-point scoring. But we will award, you know, there will be a podium ceremony for the top three. I invite Cadillac, Acura, and Mazda. I know that we don't currently have a Nissan plan, but who knows? Maybe that could be drummed up somehow, but all of the existing DPI manufacturers bring a single entry and go and try and beat each other up during Le Mans. One of you will get a win. More or less, all of you are going to be on the podium unless Nissan shows up with one entry. 
But we want to use this to show you how we do what we do, hopefully in the interest of enticing you to build something to come play with us. I realize that all these manufacturers could indeed decide to build things and go play anyways. It's not as if you have to go compete at Le Mans in order to make that decision. But I do think it would be a pretty interesting enticement. Do I think Roger Penske would be there with the Acura? Absolutely. Do I think Mazda would find the budget? Absolutely. Cadillac? I think they would as well. Um, On the flip side, if there was some sort of agreement where, I don't know that privateer LMP1 teams coming to Daytona does much for IMSA, but potentially, all right, well, if we're going to do this, then in 21, whatever, I apologize, but whatever the exact timing is where we do at least have enough hypercar entries on the ground, we're going to do the same thing at, say, the Rolex 24 at Daytona. I know, obviously, we would expect there to be the doubleheader at Sebring, but we're going to do an invitational class here, too. You can come and see how we race in our series, at our big show. And maybe that's the thing. But again, would I suggest that <laughs> in IMSA's best interest to give their leading DPI manufacturer, Stephen, a taste test at the rival series so they might leave? Because they probably aren't going to fund dual programs. Or the ACO to try and do the same to give their hypercar manufacturers a taste of something and they might like even better. Yeah, I don't know. That, that, that's, the, that's the concern, for sure. Well, we have got the uh, Super GT DTM Dream Race literally this weekend. Uh, that's, that's certainly two sanctioning bodies that, well, it's taken a decade, isn't it? <laughs> also, uh, well, a number of years, certainly, to get that, that event off the ground. But it, it, it is something that can happen. Um, there will be a lot of eyes on that, certainly, and, and a lot of eyes watching the, the dream race at, races at Fuji that wouldn't normally watch Super GT or DTM. Uh, so maybe, maybe the ACO and IMSA could uh, could learn by what they see from this weekend. Race of a thousand years. Now, hold on, wait a minute. I think we already mm. had that done. I heard a rumor, race by the way, years. a rumor that that alligator liveried Audi R8 could be making a return here. Not obviously to any modern racing series, but heard a rumor it could be uh, popping up before too long in vintage racing circles. That would be quadruple cool. That would be very cool, wouldn't it? Um, Next question is Michael Metropolis. He says, teams like Acura Team Penske have reportedly been testing their cars at Daytona for 24 hours straight in recent weeks. So, um, to run a mock endurance race. Generally, is this a newer testing procedure? I don't recall this happening often in past years. Should IMSA allow it? Well, it's certainly been something that LMP1 teams have done in the past, done 24-hour-long tests. But, I'm, but personally, I'm not sure what... what oh, there we go again. Here we go. Jesus That's Christ. three strikes um, you're out as a baseball IMSA, fan. It, you know. You're, yeah, you're done. Cut me off. Cut me off, Marshall. Wow. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know what it's like in IMSA in terms of factory programs, whether that's as, as common as it was when we had LMP1 hybrid teams doing that. Yeah, no limit. Uh, as for whether IMSA should allow it, don't sports car sanctioning bodies govern enough things? Uh, yeah, not new at all. Uh, we've you know, The going and running your endurance racing car in a very arduous endurance racing test to see if it will survive is somewhat of a a time-honored tradition so absolutely nothing new here been going on for you know decades upon decades and that's just the norm so 
No, actually, Michael, it's been uh, just part and parcel. Uh, we're talking, obviously, with, I'll call them original vehicles, not necessarily mass-produced, racing mass-produced, production-based cars. That's something where if we're talking Porsche with a 911 GT3R, they will go and wear that thing out forever uh, on their own, not in a official, we're using one of our limited number of IMSA test days, but you know, at a Weissach test circuit or in Europe somewhere, they will go and absolutely punish the car multiple times to try and find any weaknesses before it is released for sale to however many dozens of customers or more might buy it. Not uncommon as well, uh, or I shouldn't say not uncommon, also just the absolute standard practice for manufacturers of factory efforts, uh, factory programs, where these cars, knowing that they're not going to necessarily be mass-produced, but you know, if they are one of two or three, just a very low number. It's not as if you can have customers, or they have customers out there doing these long endurance races, feeding back information. Oh, this little bracket here, we found it cracked, and you might change the weld or do something different in the carbon layup with how it's made. This is something where they have to do that work ahead of time because they are the team. They're the only ones running them in many cases and the only ones finding out what does or does not work over a 24 plus hour time span so it's just absolutely normal and i think it's also an accepted practice in the modern era Stephen, where as i mentioned porsche running their car here audi running their car there whatever kind of under their own control knowing that in some cases this does need to be done because maybe Acura doesn't have its own test track, uh, there, there's often not the big shutdown of such concept, knowing that in theory some of the other manufacturers might be able to use their own proving facility privately away from all eyes and all knowledge. Well, hey, if you don't have your own circuit, then yeah, if you want to rent a circuit and go do that, we're not going to get in your way. So that tends to be the general approach. And the, I know that we're talking about IMSA here, but just in, in general sense, tends not to be too big of a uh, uh, lockdown and such things for the manufacturers that don't have their own proving facilities to do this uh, under a veil of secrecy. Mm. So so the next couple of questions we've got, Marshall, is about the management change at Laguna Seca. Did huh? you talk about this I don't, uh, last week? I have no week? idea what you're talking about. <laughs> has this already come up in topic or do we need to fill in listeners who maybe haven't followed the story or was that already done i'm gonna ask you to fill it in i'll answer the questions i can't talk about i mean i i'm i'm out of words almost so if you could fill people in on what happened oh, i'll try and answer the questions is that your acknowledgement that you haven't read any of the thousands of words i've put together on this Man, this is, is a fourth is strike. It's this is this has been a crazy, crazy week, Marshall. It has. I know, it's been You're a crazy telling week me you. it's been crazy. I know it's been a crazy Are you week. effing kidding me? Okay, yeah. you've been busy. It's, it's, oh, I love you, Stephen Kilby. You are yeah, freaking priceless. I'm, not, I'm never as busy as you, Marshall. We oh, all know that. Don't but, start um, that with Marshall. With uh, Graham going to China and various bits and bobs happening on the work front in the background. I'd be honest, I've only followed the headlines and not sat down and read the stories yet. So I'm going to be a bad boy and say I haven't done my homework enough on this one. All I know is that the management has changed and scramper out. 
but I but I don't know much more than that. Well, that's good enough. Go, let's go. And, let's start with the questions. There's been a management change, indeed. <laughs> so, right turn lover says, uh, will this impact the IMSA race? Uh, and Alex Eichmiller says, where does where does IMSA sort of fit into all this? Do they hold any power? Could you know? Could they? Do they have any leverage if if they aren't happy with the new management of the circuit? I don't believe it's going to have any specific impact on IMSA where it would not have an impact on any of the other major events that they would hold. So nothing specific there that I know of would say that of the things I've heard, some of the sanctioning bodies that have agreements for events next season have not been happy and have also not wanted to express that publicly for f- not not fear but wanting to work official channels to either ease those fears and concerns or see get a, a better read for whether this facility will be something to consider beyond the end of their contract right turn lover i have no idea the, the length of the contract i can't imagine it's very long most sanctioning agreements between series and tracks here in the u.s in either open wheel or sports cars tend not to be more than a couple of years two three maybe at most so i don't think that there's a long window binding imsa to laguna seca be interesting i've mentioned many times on the show here that i don't fully understand how or why laguna has stayed on imsa's calendar because of the continually poor fan turnout. Not something that happened, has anything to do with new management, old management. Specifically, of course, there's always the, well, the old management or the ones that are being phased out at the end of the year, they could do a better job of marketing and promotions, of course, always. Reality is, though, Laguna Seca gets a lot of people to turn up for Moto GP superbike style major two wheel major motorcycle racing sanctioning body what under whatever name they get a ton of people to turn up for that so clearly lots of motorcycle riders and fans that turn up and just fill the place every year the Rolex Monterey Motorsports Reunion vintage event can especially on saturday of that four-day event is really big really popular indycar on its return here what after a i forget how many year many more than a decade layoff uh, from being at the track had a very good crowd not massive but very good crowd imsa which has been going there for years now and before that grand am held that contract, and before that, ALMS. Last time the track had a really serious crowd was heyday of the ALMS, mid to late 2000s. Since then, something has been broken in terms of sports car racing fans in volume going to Laguna Seca. I would assume, knowing that Grand Am shitboxes, compared to the ALMS, had no appeal. Having been there for some of those races, I can confirm 
that <laughs> they probably wanted to count the PR reps, photographers, and the one or two reporters that showed up in the overall attendance figures because it probably would have added about a 10 or 20% hike to however many tickets they sold. Nobody turned out. Uh, I would say IMSA as well. Some of the cars are very cool. We know that for sure. But it's just not been a circuit that's been bothered by fans turning up for its events. And would say also, to close here, Stephen, it's not restricted to IMSA. When World Challenge showed up for standalone races, it's a ghost town. When the IGTC showed up, or IGC, or what, I forget, I'm getting lost in my sports car acronyms. When the Intercontinental Series showed up, the California 8 Hours, uh, there's a reason it's no longer going there. It's because no one went there to see it. And I realize that the SRO business model really is not one of ticket sales. But man, it's hard to market. Come to Monterey, spend the money, fly to California, send your cars and people in this you know for fairly large expense to do so for this beautiful coastal racing circuit and your loved ones will enjoy dining and sightseeing and all these things, playing around to golf. You can only spin that so many times before the gentlemen or gentlewomen drivers who are paying for the privilege and or their sponsors who are paying for the privilege look around and say, did they forget to open the gates and let people in? It's really easy, Stephen, for even for these more or less self-funded series, self-funded teams and programs. They're still humans. There's still a want or need to feel that the thing you're doing is valuable and important and, and cool, has some sort of cachet. As someone who's worked in the old indie racing league in its formative years and went to many races knowing that it was the hated stepson of the kart IndyCar series. It was a, you had to get your resolve up before you went because you knew that at most events, sitting on pit lane with a, quote, IndyCar race taking place, grandstands are empty. Gotta believe that takes a toll on one's feeling. Even if it's Laguna Seca, beautiful, the corkscrew, world-renowned. Man, if you're spending a lot of money to go motor racing at a, quote, professional event, international event, and for that expense, you're also looking out beyond the driving and saying, Whew, I'm doing a thing that nobody believes is worth being at or seeing. You do that a few too many times, and the overall value of the institution is reduced. And so this is where IMS has been at for a little while. It's also something where I have to wonder if the new managers at the circuit are wondering if they need to pick and choose which events they put on because the more they look like they are a circuit that people do not want to attend for certain types of racing, the more it speaks to them and possibly their shortcomings or failures to attract and promote those events. So, yeah, I love Laguna. It's one of my two home tracks. I love IMSA, as I have for my entire life. I don't love these two working together because they look weak and powerless when they come together. Was that a soapbox moment, by the way? Do we need to credit uh, Bushu's Hammer Emporium to get the uh, $3? 
from uh, I mean, good old Kristoff? I'd count it. Um, so shall we? Should we? Should we? Should we roll out the Hammer Emporium? We should. I hope you folks <laughs> have had a chance to visit it. By the way, it's a glorious place. A lot of a lot of personal injury take place though. Um, have a ambulance out back because folks just you know sometimes you don't want to just hit a piece of wood with a hammer. You like swinging it at other people. It's another one of the many benefits in the changing rooms at Bushu's Hammer Emporium. Mm. Now, the next question is on a subject that I have done my homework on, and this is from Jamie Bender. That's nice. Uh, Thanks. Yeah, no, um, it's because there wasn't many words, mate, let's be honest. Um, He said, he said, Catherine Legg and and Christina Nilsson, they've got a full season ride with Grassler. He's excited to hear about that. He says, is there any information on what's happened with High Wrecker Racing for Michael Shank? Does this uh, shut down any chance of... Cat joining Mike for a future Indy 500. Now, you, you ran a story on this, didn't you, specifically on, on Racer? I believe we hashtag breaking exclusive scoop told folks about it. Yeah. Uh, so, the main thing to know, Caterpillar, manufacturer of heavy equipment, agricultural equipment, you name it, Caterpillar, signed a multi-year sponsorship contract with the number 57 Meyershank Racing Acura NSX GT3 program fielded on behalf of Jackie Heinricher and Heinricher Racing. Caterpillar, number 57 entry, multi-year. In September, from what I understand, they informed, uh, there was a a notice sent, however it was made, we're not coming back. I know we got a multi-year deal. Well, ding, 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 it's a single year. And that pretty much fired the death blow into the old ship. Uh, Spoken with Jackie Henricker twice in recent weeks. She's told me that she's working very hard to find replacements, put together another program, been wanting to work with Michael Shank again and Jim Meyer with their team. And so we spoke just I think during the SEMA, the local SEMA uh, Specialty Equipment Manufacturers Association meeting in Las Vegas, then spoke again, what, I think earlier this week. Uh, And she said to call her back uh, the following day because she was going to call Mike and expected to have some really good news and really good stuff to put together. So call her back the next day, and then she would have something to talk about uh, for a story. I said, great, will do. Around the same time, got noticed that there was a press release coming out that announced her drivers, Jackie's, quote, Jackie's drivers, being announced in a new and different all-women's sports car racing program with gear racing and grasser racing in a Lamborghini. To my knowledge... Jackie was unaware that this change was coming because I think whatever call she was planning to have, planning to do the work that she'd been doing to try and find replacements or a replacement for Caterpillar was under the assumption that her driver rotation from 2019 would be returning. I don't know this in terms of having asked it or seen contracts, Stephen, but I will, I think, confidently assume 
for Catherine and Christina to move to another team, we would have to believe that they were not under contract. They could not do that if they were obviously under contract to Jackie without Jackie knowing about it and potentially agreeing to it. So the the thing I, I'm parsing from this is, as we hear a squeak from my chair, which I need to lubricate with JB80, twice as good as WD-40. Uh, the thing that I'm parsing from this, Jamie, is it sounds like Jackie was working under an assumption that those drivers would be back. No clue if and what conversations they had. Yeah, we'll come back if you can find something or, hey, we're going to search for something else or no clue. But obviously with Christina and Catherine going to a different team, they could not do that if they were under contract without Jackie knowing, which would therefore not lead Jackie to be out searching for a program, or I'm sorry, sponsorship to continue the same exact program. So I, knowing the timeline, Stephen, from what I've heard of the Caterpillar decision coming in September at some point, that would have been with one or two rounds left to go, Monterey and Petit Le Mans, my guess is that information might have been shared with the drivers who would then be coming up on end of their contract at the end of Petit Le Mans and knowing that there were question marks indeed about whether this program would return next year, needing to search for a brand new title sponsor. It probably doesn't surprise me to hear that these two amazing women found another opportunity. I've also heard it wasn't announced, but I've heard that one of the third member of the Heinricher Racing Program, Anna Beatriz, a.k.a. Bia Figueredo, will be the endurance driver at, I think, three of the rounds, maybe? Not four. I think there's a Brazilian stock car conflict she has. But nonetheless, it sounds like once the funding went away for the 57 program, there were others that were interested in securing their services, and did. So to close this, I do know that when I spoke with Jackie on, I apologize if I'm forgetting, maybe it was Monday, she said call me back on Tuesday, or whether it was Tuesday, and then call me back Wednesday. Whatever day the gear, grasser news broke, uh, I think Jackie was shocked to find out that the driver she assumed would be with her weren't. And whether that scuttles whatever plans she's working on with Michael Shank and Jim Meyer. I don't know, but understanding that Jackie's initiative was all about the all-female driving program, educating young women at STEM and STEAM type interactions to get involved in engineering and math and, you know, using it as a really positive thing to try and get more women, girls, you name it, in and involved, seeing motor racing, dreaming of thinking of being future designers and so many things is a great initiative, truly a great initiative. Whether, if that's the only angle, the only, I don't mean angle in a dismissive way, like it's it's made up, but if that's the only, you know, real major sales angle that she might have to offer sponsors. 
not as if Catherine Legg, Christina Nielsen, and Bia Figueredo are the only women who drive race cars, Stephen, but they're certainly among the best we know, first of all, and then second, that are so heavily associated with sports cars. So if Jackie wants to rekindle things with new sponsor sponsors to do this similar promotion and advancement of women type scenario, they would need, she would need to find uh, some women to drive that car that we would hope would be as good as Kat, Christina, and Bia. As for Kat joining Mike for the 500, yeah, that's not, probably not going to happen. Uh, Catherine, definitely someone who is beloved by Honda and Acura. The fact that she'll be driving a Lamborghini next year might complicate their willingness to <laughs> expedite Kat's return to the Indy 500 in a Honda-powered Meyershank racing entry. Next question is from Sean Caldwell on Facebook. He says, have you guys heard any information on the rumors of WRT and Lant entering, entering GTD for the full season? Also, I'm looking forward to Norman's first guest appearance. Who's Norman? It's a dog. We've, we're going this low, are we? We're bringing dogs on. Am I that bad? As I know I've had a few strikes today, but you're bringing a dog on, are you? My cat's. My wife and I, our cats, are regular participants in the podcast. We've actually yeah, received a lot cool. of complaints from the uh, Dog Equality Foundation, so apparently equal airtime is needed uh, before they go on strike. So, uh, There's a cat looking at me right now while I'm, while I'm recording this podcast. So, you know, I'm all down for the cat thing, but being replaced by a dog, that's, that's just too far for me. Well, unfortunately, all the trained monkeys were taken. So <laughs> we're going the first time I've had that used on canine me. route. Um, I have nothing to offer here, Sean. Not a, not a surprise. I rarely do on WT and land. I just don't. So please, A, don't hold it against me, and B, don't hesitate to fire that back in next week, and I will try and learn more and see if I'm less stupid and ignorant next week. Joshua Ponce on Facebook says, Marshall and Stephen, I believe it was mentioned in last week's episode that maybe an Aston Martin was thinking or, con- or concentrating on entering uh, uh, Vantage GTE in IMSA, but as a GT3 for the GTD class. If so, when can we see this happening? Hashtag me personally. I would love to see... Uh, I would love to see this happen as Aston Martin has had some great racing in the U.S. market. Also, what are the chances that Aston Martin could prob- possibly enter DPI 2.0, given that they are entering the hypercar class in the WEC? Have heard about an Aston Martin GT3 slash GTD program as a strong possibility in IMSA. Spoken with, I won't say their names, but spoken with some who have sat down and discussed said possibility with the factory have heard that there could be a team that's come to terms uh i'm hoping that young jedi mr kilby here might be able to knock out that story here sometime soon for daily sports car and racer.com would say that if we consider aston martin's size and what they do in motor racing They either manufacture and sell production-based GT cars, 
or they spend their money on a significant prototype level or factory level GT endeavor. Something where this is our halo involvement. I know they're also involved with the Red Bull Formula One team from an engine naming kind of thing, but again, that's uh, spending money for marketing branding, not actual. This is a factory team going racing scenario. Would just say, Joshua, that the fact that they're spending a lot of money to manufacture what appears to be the awesomest hypercar we're going to see is a pretty fine indicator of where they find value and where that big factory, here's who we are and what we do type program is going to be. So I would not confuse, oh, well, they're doing a prototype in WC, then I guess they would, maybe they want to do a prototype in DPI. No, not that I know of. It would surprise me heavily if they made that decision. Also knowing some of the profit and loss concerns that they have of late, I think that might be an incredibly hard pitch to make to produce completely unrelated prototypes to race on two fronts. I just don't see that being a reality. Here's the thing, and I'm you know, going back to what, what we were talking about earlier with DPI 2.0. Um, there was talk, there certainly seems to be talk in the background, and I'm not sure in the last few weeks how this has changed, that there could be the opportunity for for the two categories to end up being able to race together. And if so, surely Aston Martin would take a look at doing something like Daytona or Sebring or one of the, the big races, as, as you know, the manufacturers on both sides would do. They would do one big program and pick and choose. But are you still under the impression that there is the chance that we could see convergence between the two formulas? No, not right now. I think as we discussed last week. So that's week moved on. Well, I think the, the Graham and I discussed last week with the Peugeot news on coming into hypercar. I think that is the, the nail in the final nail in the coffin for that conversation. I think with Peugeot committing, that gives WC the confidence it was building but lacked in a true finality standpoint. I think Peugeot coming in gives them that final thing where they go, all right, this is going to work. Realize not everybody's necessarily coming in at the same exact time, but okay, the, these are, these are, we have enough names on the big factory side. We've got a privateer or two, right? Who knows? There could be more, but we've got enough. The numbers are enough, right? Just in the brand names, whether it's a Glickenhaus, a Baikalis, a Toyota, Aston Martin, now Peugeot, four to five is a pretty good number. I say four to five because Baikalis is, I'm never exactly sure if they're going to, answer the bell, but that's a decent number. If we assume there's at least two models apiece from each, and I I know that Aston Martin has expressed some plans to do more, but regardless, we could assume safely that we're going to see eight to 10 hypercars at least before too long, maybe even more, who knows, but those are numbers that are good. Those are numbers that are pretty darn strong. That if I'm Gerard Nouveau, if I'm Pierre Fion, I'm thinking about the WEC calendar, I'm thinking about the Le Mans itself, I'm feeling pretty darn good. I'm also feeling like Peugeot deciding to get in, that might be another tipping point. Okay, if they left, they didn't see value in continuing, 
in this new hybrid era. They got out. We've missed them. But they've decided to come back. All right. Toyota's decided to stay. Great. Aston Martin, which has already been there on the GT side, has decided to step up to the new top class. Great. That's amazing. But someone that no longer found value, that won there, reaped some pretty significant PR value, went away, and now they're coming back. Okay, maybe we really need to take another crack at considering this. I think that gives the WC and ACO everything they need, Stephen, to feel like, okay, we have the validation. Therefore, partnering with the Americans in their DPI, their warmed-over LMP2 formula, that was going to be a really brilliant thing for us to do if this hypercar thing was going to tank before it ever came to light. And it might have been the thing we had to do, some sort of blended family-type deal of inviting those cars over or those manufacturers to come play here if they wanted, however it might work out, a convergence of some sort. And back here in IMSA, I just don't see the need uh, anymore. And so I think that ends, I, I think that's going to end that conversation. The Maybe the overarching point here that I would see that might come out of this is on the engine side. And obviously, hypercar, fairly open book, right? A lot of different decisions on who's going to do what, the size of it, the amount of cylinders, hybrid, non-hybrid, etc. IMSA, more or less identical approach, not formula, but approach, right? We got a single turbo four cylinder. We've got a naturally aspirated V8. That's a big old honking thing. We got twin turbo V6s in between and not sure if they're going to end up hybrid. We've already discussed that. But I, I'm telling you, man, as I look to motor racing's future, and this is maybe barring everything except Formula One, I think IMSA to IndyCar to WEC to NASCAR to WRC need to seriously start thinking about some form of engine regulation alignment. Because if we get to a point, drawing back, Stephen, to one of the earliest things we discussed in this episode, manufacturers, either fewer dollars to play with manufacturer programs or just harder to get those budgets at all to play. It feels like we are on the verge, on the precipice of a new era where if you're going to wall off your engine formula to be so bespoke per category that that could actually end up hurting many racing series from having multiple manufacturers turn up and be represented. So I'm not saying a spec engine formula necessarily where everybody builds the same thing so it's interchangeable from one to the next but coming to some sort of finer scope so that if by chance, and let's see, we'll say Dodge, (laughs) Chrysler, wants to build a 3-liter twin-turbo V6 racing engine and really wants to do IMSA DPI, but would also like to compete at the Indy 500 
and maybe, who knows, get back into NASCAR or go to Le Mans. Have something that the sanctioning bodies have said, okay, we're kind of sort of working together. We might allow some unique things for our regional series or maybe our series. Is it all oval? Is it road course? Whatever it might be. Just saying, man, I will not be surprised if we hear a call from more manufacturers in a very general sense, spanning multiple racing series, say, hey, if you guys were to talk and work together and come up with something where if we wanted to play in more than one series, we don't have to develop completely different cars or engines at huge independent costs per each program. If you could help streamline that so we could build a DPI, but also that engine could run in, name the series, IndyCar, NASCAR, WRC, whatever, I think we're giving the sport a much better chance of surviving for a far longer term. Okay, I think that might be the third use of the Bushu's Hammer Emporium soapbox. Or is it just me talking? I don't know. What's the What's the record? I think we might have just hit the record along with your four me personalities <laughs> or your four personalities as well. It's a record-breaking episode of the Week in Sports Cars. Hey, well, there's always something. There's always something to tune in for, isn't there? Um, let's move on to Nicholas Petakas on Facebook. He says, are there any news of which, if any, LMP2 teams will be participating in the Rolex 24 Hours? I can't help but think the separation of the two classes, though somewhat logical for BOP, was a bad move considering just a couple of years ago we had more global teams participating with a chance to win the race overall. More the merrier, obviously, but um, without points incentives. I assume we won't see more than just a couple of cars. Hoping I'm wrong. Thanks for the good work you guys do. Well, as far as I'm concerned, there's going to be a reasonable amount, isn't there, for Rolex? I know it's obviously outside the the general P2 schedule for this year. It's a non-point scoring race, but uh, are all the teams that are committed, they've all committed to Rolex 24, right? I believe every team that is going to commit to the full season six race downsized LMP2 calendar will also be turning up for the seventh race season opener, which is non-points. Because while it costs a lot of money, it's also the best and biggest opportunity for them to generate income from paying drivers. So I'll be very surprised, Nicholas, if any of the full season P2 entrants are not there for that simple fact alone. It has surprised me hugely that peter has sparked such interest this season has it surprised you as much as it has me that we've now got a pretty decent grid forming here no no i think and i'm probably gonna write about this in some way and i'm gonna avoid the fourth soapbox moment here i think this is going to prove to be a blueprint for some other racing series to consider this class is just costing too much. It's a pro-am class to begin with. Costs too much by going to too many big events. So we're going to cut the big events out. We're going to give you the opening one, the big Rolex 24, because, again, you can do four drivers. You can again, It's a place where you can actually earn money to help you for the rest of the year. But other than that, we're cutting out the big, long events that cost you a lot, tear up cars. It's just that's gone from your budget. The budget's come down to about a million and a half for the year which is a huge, huge value. I think, Stephen, what other series would be wise to consider 
as IndyCar looks to draw more team owners, as NASCAR is constantly looking for more fans, more everything, but teams are seemingly always fighting now for tiny, you know, tiny scraps of sponsorship and so on. I think that we're going to downsize things a bit. I think that might be the really smart play that more series need to consider. And I'm also curious, we'll be curious to see if IMSA looks at applying this model they've done for P2, which I know we're only going from two cars to five or six. So it's, you know, numerically, it's not like there's going to be 15 on the grid next year, but still it's many hundreds of a percent improvement. I think this might be something they need to look at across the board and say, hey, we love going to all of our events. And for most of the classes, they only have 10 event calendars, right? Although there are 12 races on the calendar, you know, uh, GTD doesn't go to this place or prototypes don't go there. You know, there's some specialized events where, you know, there are two GT only class uh, events as well, Lime Rock and VIR. I think they either need to look at taking classes off a few more rounds or just taking some rounds off altogether. Earlier we spoke about Monterey. I, I'd argue that could go away. That'd be a, probably a, a welcome budgetary reduction for every team since all classes compete there. It's not like there's... Well, a, they can make it a 24-hour race at Laguna. That yeah. could be a laugh. See, 100%. Um, and I realize that there's not a lot of easy events to drop off the calendar would say that while it has prestige, knowing that we have this year there was DPI and GTLM at Long Beach. I believe GTD is coming in uh, to help get the numbers back up uh, because if it were just DPI and GTLM again in 2020, Stephen, I think we might be looking at a grid of about 13 to 14 cars. That's one where, while there's some prestige because it's Long Beach, it's probably one of the top two or three, you know, most famous race, most famous races we have each year here. And that's not IMSA, just in general. You know, the Indy 500, Daytona 500, Long Beach is right up there. Also, hear from a lot of teams that boy, it's a really expensive race, and that's because there are cars that just get trashed every year. It's a long haul for most teams as well. I continue to hear, man, you know, Long Beach is cool, but A, it's an IndyCar race. We're the Saturday evening event, and then we're kind of forgotten. The main event is Sunday. Part of me wonders if you could take Long Beach off the schedule and pick whether it's World Challenge or Trans Am or something and give them the Saturday headlining spot. I don't know, man. I know I know. we're taking my two home state IMSA races off the calendar in this theoretical calendar. But you take those two off, I think you just help the budgets even more. I think you have fewer scenarios where lots of quality drivers are out of work because I think there are more teams that would look to come in and say, all right, now that budget number, we could probably hit. Uh, right now, it's becoming almost unsustainable in every class barring P2. So even IndyCar, I think, could look at carving a couple of races off of its 17. I would say NASCAR with 
247 races per year could probably do the same. Is it only 247 yeah, if they, now? They, if they've reduced a few. They, so they have, I was going to say. See, now granted, I don't want to speak internationally. I want the Carl Bush is doing Rolex. <laughs> um, I can't really speak internationally. I can only just share for what's going on here at home. But yeah, every single series is just getting mollywopped, to use a wrestling term, on budget. And so, yeah, I think LMP2, I think what IMSA's done with P2, on just stripping it about as bare as it could uh, in terms of where the events, uh, where they're going for the events next year. I think that might be something other series seriously need to consider. Maybe IMSA as well, doing that for even its marquee classes, even the manufacturer classes, get those numbers down. Got to believe that's going to help privateers, Stephen, also manufacturers. And as we usually see when privateers and manufacturers find friendlier budgets, they tend to come in. You get more teams, more health at fewer races. So, I don't know. I think there's something there. Mm, I completely agree. When you look at what we've got with the LMS, where we get huge grids for that, and that's only got like a six-race calendar. Interestingly, the WC, when we changed the super season, and we still, you know, when you walk in the paddock now and you're chatting to people, there's still the general consensus that maybe eight races isn't enough. Maybe we could do 10, something like that. And they actually want more races rather than, rather than trimming ones off the calendar. Cause there just isn't a rhythm to the season because there's so many big gaps between uh, some of the big races. So you've got to find a balance, haven't you? Cause you don't want to have too few races that people don't think it's worthwhile, but you don't want to have so many races that people can't afford to come. Um, so it, there is definitely a balance to be found. Uh, next question is from Matt Nida on Facebook. Thanks, Matt. This We're also good. getting to the end of uh, what's been a, a somewhat light Weck Asm Elms Echo week of questions and apparently a fairly deeper IMSA one. Mm. He says, MP, there's been much uh, excitement about Penske taking over IMS and IndyCar and all the indications that it would be great for the series. However, could it uh, hurt IMSA? imagine you're a marketing bigwig at an automotive company say Motul as an example you're happy with your rooms of activation until Mr. Penske presents a package making you the official lubricant of IndyCar and really wows you is it a concern that we may see some cannibalization of IMSA sponsors by a newly uh, competent and hungrier IndyCar organization can I admit to you Matt that when I read your question originally I somehow saw the word cannibalization and thought of cannabis somehow i thought this was a totally different question coming at me um yes i do fear for imsa that the strength of penske the strength of ims better tv ratings just many things that are you can't argue there's a better value being offered by indycar could indeed impact imsa Coming back to the engine discussion we just had, Stephen, about it sure would be better if there was some form of kind of sort of common engine framework where you could play between different series. That's coming from a a real concern, but also it's a a fact-based concern that I'm hearing more and more manufacturers who have played in, say, two series or more are having to pick one because the budget to do multiple series and spend heavily on these unique cars, engines, whatever programs in separate series, those 
allowances are, are being taken away. All right, well, we're going to let you play. We're the marketing team. We love you and all that. But, yeah, no, you're going to have to find something that, you know, uh, pick one. Or if you're in three, pick two. And the more you can either find commonalities that would allow a manufacturer to say, oh, but we could play in multiple without having to spend crazily like we did before, that's a win. But in the absence of that, to your question, Matt, absolutely. If a IMSA manufacturer is looking at value, strict, how many eyeballs, how many people in attendance, and so on, um, that's something where you need to be concerned that there could be you know, a real decision made of, all right, well, crap, we do like IMSA, that's great, but if I got to put Nielsen ratings, TV ratings, Stephen, in front of my chief marketing officer between IndyCar and IMSA, or heck, if they're in NASCAR and IMSA, IMSA's going to lose in every argument. So this is where, coming back to the, the Penske angle, yeah, <laughs> if Mo Tool, which is currently involved in IMSA, can be offered a similar deal, uh, I don't know what number it is in IMSA that they spend, but if they can be offered some sort of deal, which they would consider to be of similar value, maybe cost them a little bit more because they're getting in front of a bigger audience, I would absolutely say there's reason to question as to whether let's just not say Motul because they're good people but Brand X that's involved in IMSA might say yeah well hey thanks Raj Uh, we will we'll be there next year because you can offer more for you know let's just say a a similar level of money manufacturers as well I think that there's some pretty compelling arguments that can be made for those who play in IMSA to consider IndyCar whether it's a sponsor or manufacturer, heck, even team. We don't have all the answers yet on what Roger's going to do. We don't have any answers, really. But we have faith and belief that from a business standpoint, he's going to do good things and offer greater value. And so, yes, if I'm IMSA, if I'm NASCAR, if I'm World Challenge, I am indeed keeping an eye on what Roger is doing, fearing that some of those who invest in the other series might have a new attraction or greater reason to be attracted to IndyCar. Next up is uh, Doogie Davis on Facebook, and his his question is about whether we combine DPI and LMP2 again. He said on last week's show, you discussed the price increases in DPI and the number of teams going down to one car or only competing in a handful of races. Is this the time to recombine the P2 class with the DPI field? No, 100% not. There is a need for a quality pro-am prototype class. Have it. Just discuss the costs. Just discuss that there's a lot of people now who weren't interested before in the full season or wanting to be full season. This, to me, is a case of needing to fix what DPI is than mashing the two classes together again, creating confusion and pissing off the sportsman drivers that fund the P2 programs because the whole reason that they split things up, well, among the many reasons, and inability to balance the cars properly was just the general feeling among the 
non-professional drivers competing in IMSA's prototype class that, man, all the stars got to align for us to have a good day. Getting beat up by the factories is not really why I'm here. So either give me a class where we can pro-am versus pro-am fight and give us a better chance, or I'm going to go to GTD where it's not a concern about mixing different types of cars or just get out of this altogether. So now, uh, as we discussed with the DPI 2.0, they just need to come to an agreement that we're not going to do the big, expensive, far-reaching thing that's probably a little bit beyond us. I mean, there's the other angle too here, Stephen, right? It's not just that we're not going to go hybrid. It's the what kind of safety measures in safety training and all everything else that comes with dealing with electrified race cars that would have to go with it. Do we ramping those things down and not doing them, I think just helps on so many levels for where DPI is at right now. So yeah, I think the answer here is do not combine stick with the separate and individual and just make those necessary tweaks to DPI so that manufacturers can understand. All right, cool. So we just want to go race. We want to go promote. We want to have our, the cars look more like, look more like what we sell on the road, little more authentic styles of whether it's a nose treatment or side, something just much stronger visual linkage to road car, whatever preferred road car model to this prototype, but kind of a fantasy vehicle, something cool, something different. We want to have a halo type program. Just lock into that, make it a looks thing. And for the most part, leave the rest alone. So that's what I have just decreed as someone who has no say over any of this. <laughs> Ed Horace on Facebook. He's got a couple of questions. Uh, the first one is about uh, TV packages. He says, this overlaps with IndyCar, but why didn't anyone think to combine IMSA and IndyCar into one NBC gold package? The synergies with the common fan bases seems obvious to me. Now, if, now if I want to subscribe to both, I get hit twice. It seems silly. Don't know if no one's thought of it. I just know that no one did it. I had the same thought, Ed, as a gold IndyCar, NBC, gold, whatever subscriber. I done asked myself the same thing. Would I be willing to pay, I think it was forty nine ninety five for the year for that, Stephen, and the IndyCar gold package? It doesn't offer the races, but it offers everything else, I believe, is the way it works. Would I be willing to pay an extra 10 bucks or something? 20 maybe? For a IMSA Plus IndyCar? Yeah, probably. I mean, it's more than I want, but anybody would probably want. But yeah, the separate one for IMSA? Yeah, it does seem a little weird. But I, for all we know, that's something IMSA asked for. Again, I don't know. Generally don't know. Haven't asked. Don't know if I will. But yeah, a little weird for sure. I wouldn't necessarily just say this would be on the NBC side because we don't know. Mm. His second question is, uh, do DPI teams spend as much on damper programs as IndyCar teams? Are the rules just as open? No, they don't spend as much. They are very open, but not all the way open. What makes the IndyCar dampers unique is they allow the use of inerters. If you might have remembered from Formula One a decade ago, they were called J-dampers. That technology, as I recall, unless it's changed or my brain is farting again, 
is not allowed in IMSA. There's a lot of money spent on damper development in every form of motor racing where non-spec dampers are used because it it's just such a massively influential area of performance for the vehicle. But no, there's not as much spent in DPI compared to IndyCar for the very simple reason of all of the DPIs are made by different manufacturers, have different decisions made on every possible thing. And so while lots of money is spent by each team to come up with the best damping solution they can, uh, the vehicles are different enough to where it doesn't warrant the obscene expenditures like we have in IndyCar. And for those who don't know, dampers are really the only area on the spec Delara DW12 chassis that teams are allowed to do as they please. And so since it's the one area that's opened up for individuality and it is so important for performance, uh, the costs associated are ridiculous. And as I mentioned, almost on a weekly basis on the Week in Indy Car Show, you could lock down the dampers uh, going forward as spec in IndyCar, but if they open up anything else, that same money, that same effort, that same everything is just going to shift. It's the game of whack-a-mole where you go, all right, if there's one key area open to make your car different or better than the others, that's where it goes. In IndyCar's case, it's dampers. In IMSA, dampers are still super important, but not the same level of insane spending. The final question uh, for IMSA is up next. It's from Joshua Johnson, who on Facebook says, with teams doing all they can to earn that valuable Le Mans entry into LMP2, why are there no teams looking at IMSA more seriously? If the team wins the championship and their AM driver earns the Jim Truman Award, uh, they're granted an invite to Le Mans. Why aren't there more teams seeing this as an opportunity like they do in the Asia Le Mans series? Okay, I'm going to reread that one again because it spun my brain out a little bit uh i don't honestly know joshua other than to suggest that lamar is something i have seen here in the u.s in the last couple of years change in terms of view so what we used to have to a greater degree was if a driver earns the Jim Truman Award, gets that invite, it was often a team-based thing, right? Uh, not saying that team would always take it up and enter and then go, but while the driver, you know, whatever that Truman Award winning pro-am person would happen to be there was just kind of a oh this is earned and our team is going to try and go it was a one unit approach have seen that change a lot in recent years where it has become more of the driver thinking okay cool i got this invite which european team can i find to link up with to take this up and do this of course there have been exceptions course we have had riley facilitated car and we've had american teams go over and do this with their driver that happened to win the award but just saying there has been a little bit of a change that i've noticed of late joshua where 
instead of it being, hey, we won, we're going, it's more, I won, I'm going. And then finding a, just call it a service provider to facilitate a vehicle or to be one of, you know, obviously a couple of drivers in that entry at Le Mans. So that's where I would say the team's side has maybe been diminished a bit. So there you go. You know what this means, Stephen? We're going to go this back through all of your Weck, Aslam, Elms, Echo questions and just read them again. Yes. Yes. All right. Brilliant. Um, you're breaking up a little bit there, so I don't know if the robots are getting to you or what. Uh, let's take a look at the old, yeah, you might unplug and replug or something like that. Uh, let's see. I'm going to take a look, and we are at, oh, what, hour 55 or so in the old show? I would say <laughs> let's dedicate, I don't know, what do you think, 10, 15 minutes to whatever fun and general questions stand out? Yeah, that sounds perfect to me. Can you can hear me better now? No, you've gotten worse. Oh, great. Great. Uh, one second. second, I do like the fact that it sounds like the movie Tron has taken over the show. That's pretty cool. How about about now? No, just as bad. And I'm not going to edit this out. This is just for people's entertainment. This is the normal kind of nonsense that happens that normally gets edited out. Mm, So I've just unplugged and replugged it in. You sound great. You sound like you're in the toilet. Brilliant. Have you been there the whole uh, time? I, I'm, I, I haven't, but uh, I could try going to the toilet and seeing if that would help. <sighs> um, this is brutal. Uh, you sound great. You sound better than you have the entire episode, which makes me think maybe we should just re-record the whole thing. Unfortunately, we don't oh. have time. So, well, I sound, I sound better now. You okay. do? Oh. Huh. That shows just what you can do by unplugging and replugging your same headset in, doesn't it? Well, brilliant. Sounds a lot like my high school sex education class. So, um, <laughs> very good thing. All right, I'm going to throw this one at you. Hopefully, it doesn't hit you upside the head. It comes from our man James Counter. It says, "Are you surprised that the Supra GT4 is going on sale in Japan after it does so in Europe and North America?" No, not particularly. Uh, the car uh, made its debut in Europe. Uh, it's being built in Cologne. Um, and I believe I'm going to be heading to the factory pretty soon to go and see the cars in build, the Super GT4s. Um, so it's logical that they would start selling the GT4s in Europe first. And also you've got to remember that GT4, in terms of interest around the world, is, is at its strongest point in Europe. Um in Asia in particular, there aren't huge GT4 grids anywhere. There's a few championships that have that, that incorporate GT4 that have reasonable numbers, but as a whole, things like GT3 are far more popular with what we see with Blancpain, uh, or won't be Blancpain anymore, but World Challenge Asia, where they've got a small GT4 grid, but a huge number of GT3 cars. It's the same with China GT. Uh, in Japan, Super GT is obviously the, the, the main draw is GT3 there, and mother chassis cars. GT300, so it's there's just not as many opportunities and not as many potential customers. So the smart thing for them is to get a footing in in Europe and then then North America and then Asia. I think North America's got some potential because obviously we we have a uh, you know decent grids in in World Challenge and um, and in, uh, the, Michelin in the Michelin Pilot, Pilot Challenge. Challenge. Yeah. yeah, so it makes sense to do it in that order for me because uh, they'll probably sell more cars that way. 
I love it. Uh, let's see. All right, that's a really long question from Otto Kinzel. I don't know if we're going to get to that this week, Otto. You might send that in. That might take the remaining 10 or 15 minutes. All right, I'm going to throw this one at you. You can throw it back if you want. I uh, love this one from Jacob Bame, who says, this time more of a technical question. How do you come about writing stories about sports car racing without making them look unapproachable from the outside when your potential reader base is still at a point of getting to know the sport and doesn't know too many of its quirks? says, do you have any tricks that can, quote, dumb down race previews or summaries or news stories without losing the meat of the story and any educational value that it might bring to the community? That's an awesome question, Jacob. It's it's a very good question, and I do consider it when I write about it. I'm sure you do as well, uh, MP. And you, I mean, we all when we write for different outlets, we have to sort of adopt different styles. Sometimes you have to consider the audience that you're writing to. Um, so sometimes when I write a story for Racer and I write a story for for DSC, the audience for Racer, I guess, is a little bit more general because it caters to more types of motorsport than DSC does. So it's not quite as anoraki. Um, so you, often. You know, I have to factor that in when I'm writing stuff for Racer, and I also do some stuff for a travel company that specialises in um, in motorsport travel, and their audience is incredibly general and goes to you know a fan that's incredibly dedicated, but also to fans that are you know just going to one event a year maybe. Um, so it comes down to things like, I guess, if, if you're going to write something like BOP, the dreaded the dreaded free letters. Uh, you might have to think about not just saying BOP, putting in brackets, balance of performance, and maybe throwing a few hints into what it is and what it means a little bit more, more especially when you're writing about big events like Le Mans, where maybe only people are tuning in once a year for it. Um, but yeah, there are plenty of instances where you you do consider it, because sometimes I do reread my own pieces, and, and I have been known to to go and talk to my even my parents or a friend or a girlfriend and say, can you have a read of this? Does this make any sense? Because sometimes you go down a rabbit hole of writing about something technical, be it regulations or new technology, um, and you think this is just this could be unreadable for somebody who's not as close to it as me. I'm, I'm sure you're like that as well, aren't you, Marshall? Uh, to, to some degree. And it's not due to a desire to make things harder to read than they should be for those who are newish to the sport. I try and keep in mind when I am writing at all times that even if I'm writing the same thing over and over again during the same week, that there are often new readers that come in. So I've written multiple stories about the sagas in Monterey, for example. Uh, having to inform folks that the soon-to-be former track manager has been its one and only track manager. To inform the person who has won the new contract is a longtime general manager of one of the major hotels in Monterey. In theory, you might say, well, if I wrote about that on Monday, and then there was another thing to write involving both sides on Tuesday, and then again on Wednesday, would I really need to carry that same information into the Tuesday piece and Wednesday piece? Because on Monday, I already established longtime track manager, one and only, new guy, longtime general manager of a hotel. In theory, for those loyal readers at racer.com, probably by Wednesday are going, Jesus Pruitt, do you just cut and paste this stuff? 
<laughs> can you come up with something new to say? It's not because it's not for a quote lack of creativity or just I enjoy being redundant. It's I realize that there are folks coming in reading a story on Tuesday that have no idea that one existed from Monday. Therefore, I need to make sure that it is inclusive in that capacity. Now, when we capacity is another great one. Now, when we're talking about writing about series is going from a three liter turbocharged something or other to a 3.2 liter turbo something or other, there is no explanation as to what the change from 3.0 to 3.2 means. If folks are wanting to learn some of those basics, I've always viewed it as if it's really arcane stuff that a racing fan wouldn't know, I will indeed take the time to explain it. But if it's part of the you need to learn this to understand the sport, I do think it is incumbent upon the reader and the fan to do that. Just because, from my experience, it's what I've had to do, not just in racing, but in whatever other, whether it's sports, music. I mean, (laughs) I've been a fan of jazz for a really long time. Jazz is not something that you, to grasp, can just listen to and get. There's actual reading involved. There's actual music study involved to understand whether it's a time signature, whether it's improvisation. There's many things you need to fully understand, deconstruct it, so you get the full meaning of what you're hearing. And racing, sadly, is far more complicated than basketball, right? Shoes, clothes, hopefully. I haven't heard of a nude basketball league yet, but (laughs) shoes, shorts, some sort of shirt, Ball, people, court, basket, shoot. Don't shoot. Kind of get the rules. Okay, you can't do this to this person. You can do that. There's some little vagaries where you go, all right, that's a little weird, but okay, I'm picking these things up. Wouldn't take more than a game or two to figure out basketball for a new observer. Racing, it's going to take longer. And so knowing that it's going to take longer, Jacob, my approach is try and explain the things that a new reader might not get, might not know, but there are some items where you go, okay, what does that mean in a engine capacity increase? Well, that's a Google typeity type type. What does an increase in engine liters mean? Question mark and see what it returns. There is some genuine Google searching involved to figure out a lot of things in racing along with watching and listening and not getting all of it until you get to a point that you do. So I don't believe that as writers and journalists, it is our job to educate everyone about a sport they're seemingly a fan of or wanting to become a fan of. And there is a little bit of a handoff and expectation that in probably too many instances, folks need to do a little bit of searching. B-O-P. What is B-O-P? Question mark. Go and read. Find out. Oh, okay, got it. Uh, hey, oh, now I understand why the Acuras were so strong during a stretch and then suffered, or why the Cadillacs won like mad. But then I read an article after Long Beach that said the Cadillacs just got hit with a heavy BOP change. Aha, that's why they sucked after Long Beach. Uh, some of those things, again, I, at least my viewpoint, uh, it's kind of the handshake with the reader. 
or listener or viewer. All right, you're probably going to have to do some homework to get all this stuff. We can't turn every article and every reference reference and citation into um, sports car racing 101. Mm. And it should be it should be fun if somebody's new to the sport and the the general basics of racing I think are fine. You know, I don't think many people who watch a race on TV would have no clue at all what's going on. It's it's when you get into endurance racing and strategy and things like that. Maybe as a TV product, it's difficult to to digest. But if you if you if you get the bug, you may just find it, it as much fun learning about it rather than being spoon fed it. Indeed. Uh, so, where are we going to go next, Marshall? I've thrown a couple at you. Uh, pick one or two to close. Okay. Uh, here's one. I'm, I'm going to throw it at you because I have no idea what this is all about. It's Dennis uh, uh, Prokniak on Facebook. He says, is there any truth to the rumor that Marshall Pruitt will join the cast of the Netflix show Mindhunter for the IMSA-themed season three? Oh, Dennis, you're a man plucking my heartstrings. I do love, I granted, I've only seen the first season of Mindhunters. Uh, it's awesome. Just truly awesome. Have not seen the second season, though. I hope to. I have tried to entice the dear Mrs. Pruitt to watch the show, and she's not shown an interest so far. So I'm holding off on season two hoping we might consume season one and then go to season two. But I'm probably going to have to make the uh, the call here as to whether that's going to happen or not. And if not, just delve into season two. It's a great product, Stephen. I would say you would, in knowing, knowing that you do have what I perceive to be a serial killer gene inside of you, you might like it. Mm-hmm. It might be very educational. Okay. Okay, I, I personally, I've not heard of that. Oh, God, uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, Marshall, let's just, just cut me off. Cut me off. This is ridiculous. Can I just... Five! Oh, man. Five! Graham can't get back soon enough, can he? Please come back from China, Graham. You're making me look like a... Oh, man. Five! I've not heard of mine, Marshall. I plead let's the move fifth. on. One, two, three, four, fifth! Oh, my goodness. You're fifth! I'm a disgrace. Hashtag me personally. Violation. There's no fifth strike in baseball. There's not even a fourth. When you get to the sixth, people wonder if I'm doing it on purpose, but genuinely I'm not. It's just slipping out. (laughs) (sighs) Well, before before we potentially get to a sixth and have to put you down... um, why don't you pick one? Let's pick one to close, and whether it's for me or for you, read it, and then if yep. you want to answer it, answer it, whatever you need. Uh, it's all good. Okay, we'll go one final question then from James Counter. Um, says, this has been answered by Graham, uh, but MP, who's the person you're most pleased that you introduced to motorsport? I'm not going to read the rest of the question because it involves a word that I shouldn't say. Competent? Very funny. Oh, sorry. I'm not say. Uh, wow. Who would I? I that's a. It's a great question. I do not have an easy answer to it. I would say this, James. And there's. I apologize that I'm forgetting. I should have memorized these names, but 
I'll maybe bring it back to the podcast and say I've been amazingly, amazingly honored to hear from listeners who've said, hey, I listened to your IndyCar show, really didn't know about or didn't care about sports cars, but I've started watching or paying attention to sports cars as a result of, A, learning about your IndyCar show, and then maybe subscribing to the feed and then having the sports car stuff show up and take a listen to whether it's you, Stephen, or Graham, or myself, or whomever. And, yeah, now I'm kind of like an IMSA or WEC or whatever else. Uh, possibly even the other way around. Folks saying, hey, I listened to the sports car stuff, and now, you know, boy, this IndyCar thing seems like it's a pretty cool new thing. So, no, it's a non-specific answer, James. But I would say that that has been... I mean, I, the the truth about the podcast is I make it because I want to and I like doing it. There's no great or grand infrastructure behind it. There's it, It's a pretty straightforward, I like it, therefore it is type thing. And so I mention that because the motivations and ramifications of it, just they aren't there. Oh, well, I'm going to do this, and it's going to build that, and it's going to lead to this thing, and people are going to react this way, and they're going to go here. Truly, not even a consideration. And so when I have folks say, oh, thanks, man. I, uh, I've been watching that IMSA stuff lately or that IndyCar thing lately, and yeah, I kind of learned about it by listening to your show or checking out some of the features you do in the podcast, whatever it is. That's been really amazing. And... The other knock-on thing, too, which I just never really fathom because I'm not always smart, is the folks, Stephen, who say, hey, I, thanks for being my companion on my daily or weekly bicycle, you know, long bike ride somewhere, or on the train to work, or I had to do this long drive to go somewhere. It just blows me away. I know, in theory, you're going... Just so we're clear, idiot, you make hours and hours of free audio content per week, and you're surprised that people, A, listen to it, and say that it's consumed while they do things. Uh, I hate to say it, but yeah. <laughs> well, it's, so, it's news to me, to be honest, Marshall, because every time anyone speaks to me about it, they just say, oh, thanks for ruining the podcast, Stephen. You've come in, and I thought it was going to be Graham and, and Marshall, and you've stepped in, and and it's ruined my commute, so you know it's maybe it's just you, mate. To be honest, right. and after my form this week, I don't think it's going to get any better, is it? Five, five, personally. Oh boy. Hey, maybe next time we do one, you'll remember that we've actually recorded a podcast together. <laughs> Your, the secret motivation behind it has finally been revealed. <laughs> uh, but anyways, James, honestly, man, that that's that's it. It's just. I don't know, man. It's it's really that simple for me. I love doing it. I do it. Put it out, and I hope people enjoy it. Thoughts and expectations beyond that, really genuinely, there's nothing else beyond that. And so when I hear that folks are like, oh, cool, I got turned on to this type of racing I hadn't considered or didn't know about, or, hey, you guys become a frequent companion for the thing that I do, it's just crazy to me. It's just crazy because I never anticipated doing, honestly, anything that fell into that category. I mean, I know that since I've become a, a writer, reporter, journalist, that, yeah, there are, you know, 
really nice people that read the work that I put out for my clients, this just seems a lot more intimate and direct. And so it's just pretty cool, man. It's constantly amazing me and, and making me say thank you out loud and on the inside. So there you go. And to you, we even like you, Stephen. So although you are going to be replaced by a dog because we can get a monkey, but we still love you. Dogs will make less mistakes than me. Well, at least when they crap, we're not surprised. You know, we're like we're the, the messes <laughs> are expected ahead of time. All right. Well, we uh, we're done. It is good Lord. It's past midnight in the United Kingdom. You should go to sleep mm. or something. Uh, something. Uh, I would say it's time to say thank you to our delightful partners at Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers. We hope Graham Goodwin isn't locked up or, you know, sentenced to some sort of something bad. Hopefully we'll get him back soon. But if he isn't, I'd be okay to keep doing this with you. Oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. That was a lie, you but put, we're trying to end the show uh, in a half. Yeah, so. you, you, you've done well. You've put up with, what, an hour and a half, two hours of, of sitting, listening to me just ramble on. So I'm impressed. All right, well, go to bed or go do something. Whatever young men do in England uh, after midnight and uh, early Saturday morning, go do that thing. I'm going to say thank you to everyone for the questions you sent in. We did not get to every single one. As always, if you want to hear your questions answered, don't hesitate to send them back in again. Sometimes it's taken three, maybe even four attempts, but we will get to them. So for Stephen Kilby and Graham Goodwin at DailySportsCar.com, I am Marshall Pruitt. This is the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. Funny how that works out. This is your week in sports cars. We'll look forward to speaking to you next week. <laughs>